0: If you have your Bibles there, if you'll turn to 1 Chronicles 21. And I know that Pastor Robert has been preaching a, a series called The Battle. And we talked this week about what I would preach on this weekend. A, a year or two ago, I preached a message called Living Among Lions. And for those of you who are here, I don't know if you've heard that or not. But, but it was on the battle we face with Satan. This, this message I'm going to preach this weekend is on King David, and it's on a battle that all of us face in life, and it deals with pride. And it's called David, the Whisper of Pride, is this, this message. King David was an amazing king. He's the, the greatest king of Israel. And Jesus, by the way, sits on the throne of David. And so David was a great man after God's heart. And in the, I did a series of messages called Every Great Man. And in that series, I talked about the incredible attributes of King David, because he was a remarkable individual. But one of the things I like about the Bible is it tells both sides of people. It talks about Moses and Abraham and Peter and Paul and David. And it talks about their strengths and their weaknesses. And that's really good for all of us because we need the encouragement that other people are messed up too. And so David David had some issues. And we're going to read a story here about something that David did so wrong that 70,000 men died because of his sin. And it was the sin of pride. David started out as a very humble shepherd boy. And in his humility, uh, God honored him remarkably. He became famous. He became powerful. By the way, in the preceding chapters before 1 Chronicles 21 here, it is talking about conquest after conquest after conquest of David over his enemies. He's rich. He's famous. He's powerful. The most beautiful women in Israel are his wives and concubines. And now all of a sudden he wakes up one morning and he has become arrogant, remarkably, because he was such a a great man. But he has become arrogant. And it says in verse 1 of 1 Chronicles 21, Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my lord the king, are they not all the lord's servants? Why then does my lord the king require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. All Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now, what happens after this is Gad, the seer, God stops talking to David. And he then, these are, you know, David and God are best friends. And God speaks to David intimately as a friend until here. And after David sins the sin of pride, God will not speak to him directly. He sends Gad the Seer to speak to him through all this process here. And and this is just a little side note, and that is, when you sin the sin of pride, the first thing that happens is you lose your intimacy with God. And God stops speaking. And so now here comes Gad the Seer after this to David and says, David, you've sinned a great sin against God and he's going to give you three choices. And here are your three choices. Three years of famine, three months to be chased by your enemies, or three days in the hands of God. And David says, I will take God because he's merciful. And in three days, the angel of the Lord struck down 70,000 men. No women or children died. But it was 70,000 soldiers who died in Israel. And the good news is David repents and he ends well. He's at the end of his life here. And he ends well and he does some good things before he dies. The bad news is this was a very costly sin. And to understand the sin that David committed here, I mean, pride is a sin, but to understand why God was so serious and severe in His judgment of David is the king of Israel was not the king of the people. The king of Israel was God's king. God chose David. God sent Samuel the prophet to Jesse's house, David's father's house, and he anointed David king. And remember, God rejected Saul from being king because he was the king of the people and not his king. And he then came to David and said, You're my king. You're a man after my heart. And I'm going to make you king. And the census, what it was, was it it was a break from God. David had always depended on God, but now he wakes up one morning and he realizes he's powerful, he's rich, he's handsome, he's, he's successful in every way, and now he doesn't need God anymore. In fact, the census, the only reason for taking the census is to see how powerful you've become. But here's the irony of the census. The census was actually an act of finding out how much God had blessed you so you can use it against Him. That's the irony. It's like a beautiful person looking in a mirror and seeing how beautiful they are and then realizing, I am so beautiful, I can get a ticket into anywhere, I can get anything that I want, I don't need God. The very act of seeing how beautiful you are And using it against God is the act of finding out how much God has blessed you. So you can use it against Him. Like a person who's very successful financially, looking at their their bank balance and all of a sudden realizing, I can go anywhere I want, I can do anything I want, I can hobnob with anyone I want, I've got money, I don't need God anymore. But the very exercise of finding out how much money you have is an exercise in finding out how much God blessed you so you can use it against Him. Or how talented you are, or how smart you are, or how articulate you are, or how wise you are, all of those things, it is all an exercise in finding out how much God has blessed us. And so here's, here's what happens. David wakes up one day and he realizes he's powerful. He takes his senses. And all of a sudden, Satan stands up. And I want to talk for just a minute about how that could happen. How Satan could stand up against David like this and cause so much trouble. And the reason that I want to look at this a little bit more closely is to make sure that he cannot stand up against any of us. How many of you want to live your life without Satan ever standing up against you and doing this kind of stuff here? Well, I do too. So let's look at this. Now, we looked at a scripture in 1 Chronicles 21.1 that said Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. That is an amazing scripture. Satan stood up. And I want to describe exactly what that means. But listen, there is another scripture text in 2 Samuel 24 that tells this exact story, but from a different perspective. Here is 2 Samuel 24.1. This is exactly the same story now being told in the book of 2 Samuel. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and He moved David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. The anger of the Lord was aroused against Judah, and He caused David to do it. Now listen, 2 Samuel says, God caused David to number Israel. He was angered, and He aroused David. But First Chronicles said, Satan stood up and did it. So which is it? Was it God or was it the devil? Well, let's look because both the scriptures are in harmony with each other. Here's the way it happened. God looked down at the pride in David's heart. And when God saw the pride in David's heart, he lifted his protection. As soon as he lifted his protection, because I believe when we're walking humbly in submission to God, I believe to some degree we're invisible to the devil. We certainly are protected against him. And I'll show you that scripture here in just a minute. When God looked down and saw David's pride, he lifted his protection. And Satan was laying in wait, like he does, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He was laying in wait. And when he was there laying in wait, as soon as David's protection had been lifted, he stood up against David and pounced on him, according to this scripture here. So, to understand why God would do that. Why would God lift His protection from David and allow Satan to stand up? You have to understand that God hates pride. And I'm I'm not talking about just a little. I'm talking about a lot. Here's Proverbs 6, verse 16. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. Number one, a proud look. In Proverbs, when it lists the seven things that God hates... And the things that are an abomination to him, the very first thing it lists is a proud look. And you, you've seen a proud look. I'm sure that you know most of us have had a proud look. I would show you what one looks like, but I don't want you to see how good I am at it. <laughs> how easy it is for me. God hates pride. It's not just a little problem. When God sees pride, because here's what pride says. Pride says, I don't need God. I've got enough power. I've got enough money. I've got enough beauty, I've got enough intelligence, I've got enough friends, I've, I've got everything I need, and I don't need God anymore. It's just that little arrogant look that a person gets, and God sees that look, and He realizes that all of a sudden we think that we don't need Him anymore, and He hates it. Now listen to me, He doesn't hate us, He just hates it. You could never do anything to make God hate you, because you're the apple of His eye. You're His heart. God will never, ever, ever hate you, but He despises now this sin, James chapter 4 says, he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. Now, this word resist does not mean passive resistance. It doesn't mean you're going the wrong way, and so God just gets in front of you and just kind of does this to you and resists you. This word means to set yourself in battle formation against someone. This is an aggressive resistance. And what it means is this, God has vowed that pride will never succeed. Now listen, this is parental. This is parental. When our kids were growing up, I told our kids, if you want to succeed and help yourself, we will do anything we can to help you. We're your best friends. We will sacrifice financially. We will do anything that we can do to help you to succeed. If you want to harm yourself or go the wrong way, we will oppose you in every way we know how. And I believe that's good parenting. You just never want to assist your child or passively stand back as you watch them destroy themselves. And God is the same way. But but listen to this. This goes on and it says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. In your joy to gloom, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. As much as God hates pride, He loves humility. And as much as God does in resistance of pride, He does to bless humility. God loves humility. It's extremely attractive to Him. Now listen, again this is parental. For all of us parents and grandparents here, have you ever wanted to just hold your children and cuddle them and bless them, but they wouldn't let you? You always love them. They can't do anything that you wouldn't love them. But they can do things that you have to discipline them. Or you have to be more severe to them than you want to be. We kept our little uh, four-year-old twin granddaughters this week, Abby and Elle. And they were staying with us and they're just adorable, you know. And we spoil them rotten and send them home. That's our jobs. And we, we do it well. But this week they were staying with us and we put them down for bed and... About one thirty in the morning, we have our intercom on in our bedroom so we can hear them. And at one thirty in the morning, we are hearing them partying up in their bedroom. <laughs> and it's kind of unusual because they normally don't do that. But we gave them these little horses. And whatever you give one of them, you have to give both of them. You know? And so they have two little plastic horses that walk. And unfortunately, they make noises. <laughs> so we woke up to that noise coming through the intercom. And they were partying. So... It took Karen forever to wake up and do something about it. And that's going to be in my next seminar. I I laid there forever waiting for her to get up. So she she got up and went upstairs and walked in there and said, Girls, what are you doing? And they jumped back in bed and they were put the covers over their head and they were whimpering, you know. And, and she said, Which one of you got up first? And Elle immediately told on Abby. And Abby broke and said, well, I was hot, and I figured the way to cool off was to get up and play. So, you want to love them. You want to love them. But sometimes they won't let you. Now listen to me. God loves you more than a million sermons could explain. But when you're humble, you let Him love you. When you're proud, you don't let Him love you. But He always loves you. Just like a parent. God loves Gives grace to the humble, the Bible says. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. James is talking to believers here, not unbelievers. And so when God looks down at David, and David is the king of Israel. He has many people's lives in his hand. And he looks down at David, and David has become so arrogant. This is why all of this happens. And pride becomes the open door for the devil. And so, again, when we talk about how could Satan stand up against David the way that he did or us the way that he wants to do... He's like a lion. When you understand the term stand up, lions, the way they hunt, like a female lion, they get way down on the ground. And we've seen them personally in Africa, but you can see this you know, on TV, on these animal shows. They get right down on the ground. And what they do is they lay in wait until there's an opportunity, until they see a weak one or or one away from the the herd or some opportunity where they can pounce. Then they stand up and they pounce. Now listen to what I just said. The devil's like a lion laying in wait. And he crouches down until he finds an opportunity. Then he stands up and pounces. This is 1 Peter chapter 5, based on what I just said. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Isn't it amazing where that scripture is? It's talking about humility. And by the way, it says, clothe yourself with humility. Whenever the Bible says we have to clothe ourselves, it means we don't wake up with this on. You have to put it on intentionally. Our natural state is a state of pride, our natural sin nature is a state of independence. Isaiah 61 says that we put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. That means you have to put on praise. It's not our natural state. We have to make a decision every day that I say to myself, I'm going to praise God. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in this day. But I've got got to put this thing on. Now, it's interesting that Peter wrote this, and he's talking about, you know, the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the word may means permission. You have to give him permission. He does not have carte blanche to come and devour us as he wants. We have to give him permission. This is interesting. In Luke chapter 22, it records the story of the Last Supper. In the Last Supper, remember all the disciples, including Judas, were at the table. And Jesus is very serious now. It's a very serious moment when the first communion was served. Very, very serious moment. And Jesus looks across the table and says, There's someone dipping bread with me right now that's going to betray me. And so they get, you know, real serious there for a minute. And then the conversation begins, which one of them is the greatest? By the way, they had that conversation regularly. The disciples loved to talk about which one of them was the greatest. So at the Last Supper, Jesus is getting ready to die. Jesus is being very serious. And they're all sitting around the table talking about which one is the greatest. And in that conversation, Jesus looks across the table at Peter and said, Satan has demanded permission. To sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. That you will not fail. When you return strengthen your brothers. Satan has demanded permission. Now listen to me. That phrase demanded permission means by divine right. He had the right to demand permission to sift you like wheat. Because of your pride. This is where Peter says, if everyone deserts you, I will not desert you. If everyone else fails you, I will not fail you. And Jesus says, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. You're full of yourself. I took you from your father's fishing boat. Do you remember that? And everything you know, I taught you. And everything you are today, you are because of me. And here you are, sitting at this table. And I'm about to die and you could care less and all you can think about is yourself. Jesus didn't say that. I'm just talking for him. But anyway, that was kind of the gist of the conversation. But isn't that kind of typical? Here's the double curse of pride. And it's a terrible, terrible, terrible curse. The double curse of pride is God lifts his protection and the devil has opportunity and there's nothing we can do about it. Except repent. That's why James says, let your laughter be turned to mourning. If you're walking in pride, you need to grieve over that and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That's the only thing we can do. But here's the double blessing of humility: God blesses and protects us, and Satan can't stand up against us. And we all have to put this thing on. So let me say one other thing before I close this message, and it's a question. And here's the question, and I believe this is the battle. I believe that this is the battle in our lives that determines what God can do with our lives. And here's the question. How much can God bless us and we won't use it against Him? Well, that's the question, I believe. And I use David as an example of that. Well, let me say, in David, it was quantified. See, it it should be an unquantified answer. In other words, when you ask the question, how much can God give me and I won't use it against him, the right answer is God can give me anything and I'll never use it against him. But in David's case, we know the answer. 1,570,000 soldiers. When he had a it wasn't bad. A million three, he was still humble. When he had about 50,000, he was real humble. But one day he wakes up and has 1,570,000 soldiers, excluding two tribes, and he can't handle it. And he becomes arrogant and counts I use David as an example of that. But also I want to use Satan himself as an example. Because the original sin of the universe, as far as we know, was committed by a person named Lucifer. Who we know today as Satan. Remember, it was Satan who stood up and whispered these thoughts of pride into David's heart that caused him to do this. But I want to read about where Satan came from. This is Ezekiel 28. This is God speaking. And he's speaking about Lucifer who became Satan. You were the seal of perfection, God says, Ezekiel twenty-eight, eleven. full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created, till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the firing stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Who gave him that beauty, by the way? You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Who gave him that wisdom? I cast you to the ground, I laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. The original sin was the sin of Lucifer. And Lucifer was, the word means light bearer or enlightened one. And he stood over the throne of God, had musical instruments set in his body. Beautiful, wise, led the heavenly host in worship of God. And he was there, diamonds and emeralds and turquoise, all these things were around him. You you can only imagine how gorgeous he was. And one day he was there worshiping God. And one day, Isaiah 14 is the other text in the Bible where we know where Satan came from. And Isaiah 14 describes it another way. And Isaiah 14 says that Satan was there, that he was glorifying God until one day he looked at himself rather than looking at God. He became impressed with himself and he said, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to set my throne up like his. In the recesses of the north, Satan was so incredibly beautiful and persuasive that he took a third of the angels of heaven with him when he fell, away from God himself. The good news is, God kept two-thirds of the angels, so good angels outnumber bad angels two to one. That's the good news. The other news is, the original sin was the sin of pride for a person who knew God intimately, took their eyes off Him, put their eyes on themselves... And took what God had given them and used it against Him. King David. Peter. Just go right down the list. Here's the question. How much can God bless us and we won't use it against Him? Before I was a pastor, I, was, I worked for my parents. My mom and dad are in the service. And I worked for my mom and dad in the appliance business. And we had a life group in our church. And we had uh, couples that came to our life group. And this one particular couple I'm thinking of came to our life group, and, and they were precious couple, hungry and humble. First people at our house, last people to leave. And he was starting a business about the time that we started our life group. And every time they came to our life group, he asked us to pray for his business, and, and we did. And his business became very successful. And over the months that, uh, that all of this happened, in really a couple of years that this happened, and his business became more successful, you could see the arrogance growing on him. The more money he got, really and truly, he was only humble because he was broke. But once you put money in his pocket, he wasn't humble anymore. The more money he got, the more arrogant he became. And I was not a pastor. I was in business. But I was his life group leader, and I took him out to eat lunch one day, and I told him, I said, I'm concerned about you because we prayed for your business for a long time, that God would bless it. And while we were praying for your business, you were so humble and so hungry But the more money you've gotten, he began to mistreat his wife. He began to be very unrighteous in his speech and in his conduct in the community. And I took him out and I cautioned him and I said, listen, God blessed you. And we prayed for you and I'm concerned about you. Let me say, when I sat at the table with him, he did not appreciate what I said. That's the simple way to say it. But the look on his face was a look of arrogance. That prideful look that God hates. The entire time I was talking, he had his head cocked back, looking down his nose at me like, I got more money than you do, and you don't know enough. If you had my kind of money, you wouldn't be as stupid as you are. Something like that. And you say, So all, all rich people are arrogant. No, not at all. I know people with hundreds of millions of dollars that are very humble. In fact, some people, the more money you give them, the more humble they get. People in the ministry. There are many people in the ministry that start out very humble when they're not known and they're struggling. But the more successful they become in ministry, the more books they have or more they're on television or something like that, the more arrogant they become. But I know a lot of people in the ministry who are very well-known and very humble. Very, very humble people. Talented people. It's just really there are two groups of people. There are some that the more you give them, the more arrogant they become. But there are other people that the more you give them, the more humble they become because they're committed to God. But here's my question to you, and here's how I want to leave this message. God has a plan for your life, and that plan includes tremendous blessing, your heart's desires. God will give you more than you would ever be able to give yourself. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I'll give you all these things. God gives grace to the humble, He exalts the humble. But here's my question that I want to ask you this morning, and I want to encourage you to answer this definitively and win this battle right here, right now. And my question is, will you allow God to give you everything He wants to give you with a commitment to Him that says, I'll never use it against you? I will clothe myself with humility, and I will remember where my money came from, where my health came from, Where my blessings came from, where the ability to make wealth came from, where my intelligence came from, where my beauty came from, where my athletic ability came from, where my musical ability came from, where everything came from. I will remember, God, you can trust me with anything and I will never use it against you. I want you to stand with me if you would this morning.